what does it mean to capture an innate sense of conflict in every stunning piece you paint? Well, that's what we get to know from Lino Lago on this episode of The Cultured Podcast. Welcome to The Cultured Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Corey. And together, we'll journey into the unknown reaches of the art world. Hello, my bebes. How are you? But like, really, how are you? (laughs) How are you? (laughs) How are you? (laughs) I'm, you know, every day, every minute, every hour, you never know what it's going to bring. Although I kind of have come to expect every day to bring some sense of, let me not spoil it, but tension. And speaking of tension, we talk a lot about that with Lino Lago on this episode of The Cultured Podcast. And I had no idea that what he calls his fake abstracts, which is what he is known for, he is known for these stunning canvases with these super bright colors and these very detailed classical portraits under those blankets of cobalt blue or millennial pink. I had no idea that those were meant to represent the clashing of the traditional and the contemporary, the innate conflict that's constantly ongoing between what came before us and what is here now and what is to come, which, you know, is hella poignant, hella poignant right now. Honestly, one of my favorite parts of this conversation is the fact that Lino and I kind of sit on different sides of the spectrum. Like he is very much devoted to tradition and sees like a strong place for tradition and the adherence to tradition in our society. And I am more of a revolutionary. I mean, it's much more the second I was born, I looked at everything around me and I was like, all right, these systems gotta go. I was like three years old. Like, how do we change this? Like even growing up, my mom would be like, don't don't put your elbows on the table. That's rude. And I was like, says who? Who made up these rules? You know what I mean? So there is, appropriately, tension between Lino Lago and my perspectives. And that was fun. That was fun because, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're both devoted to art. And the way we define that even is different. So stay tuned. I think you're really going to enjoy it. He is such a darling. And also, this is the first episode that we have done translation for. So Noyus, Lino Lago's son, joins us on this episode of Cultured and translates for his dad, who is Spanish and was in Spain when we recorded this. So I hope you enjoy that. Before we get into the episode, what's inspiring me this week is not going to shock you. It is tension. (laughs) And there's just so much about this episode that feels so poignant. And tension is one of those things. And I have to say, I, like probably many, if not most of you, have been feeling an ongoing sense of tension this entire year. And it has been a mounting sense of tension. So not only has it been an ongoing, constant, ever-present tension, but it's also what feels like a building tension. You know, that's an inspiring thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be negative. Sure, it feels icky and it feels uncomfortable, but I think it is through tension that we're able to discover the parts of ourselves that have been hiding, the parts of ourselves that need attention, right? And it's that inner work 
It's almost like tension is a radar that helps you identify within your body what you need to deal with. What has gone unchecked? What do you need to work on? What do you need to address? Right? And I think it is that tension that alerts us to our own sense of self and our own sense of self-worth, any traumas, any gushing wounds that we have within ourselves, because it's usually those gushing wounds or untreated hurt that enable the sense of tension, right? And that amplify it. That's what I've been thinking about a lot because it's easy to push and fight against the tension, but the truth is I don't think any of us can escape it. So we might as well allow it to be a tool for our own growth and our own healing. And we might as well allow it to be a teacher. It's not meant to be an enemy. It's meant to be a teacher. And speaking of tension, let's get this conversation rolling. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Lego, Lino Lago. Bienvenidos! We are doing something a little bit different with this episode of The Cultured Podcast. We are traveling to Spain, Galicia, Spain, or Galicia, I guess, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, (laughs) Spain. And we are talking to Lino Lago. And we also have a very special guest who has been extremely kind and helpful throughout this whole process. And that is Noyus, Linos' son. Um, Noyus, I'm going to let you say your full name. Because I immediately <laughs> forgot how to say your last name. Yeah, yeah, no worries. It's it's weird. Uh, my name is Noyus Moganis. That's how it's pronounced in Lithuanian, which nobody should attempt. It's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for that. That actually makes me feel better. And then we are here with his father, who is the subject of this beautiful conversation that we're about to have, Lino Lago. Bienvenido, Lino! <laughs> Gracias. Muchas gracias. So today we have no use with us because we are actually going to capture Lino in his first language, in the language that he dominates better than English, although he's a great English speaker. And that is because art is an expression of our spirit. It's an expression of our hearts. And to be able to express that in your fullness, in the most comfortable language you have is really important. And so no use is going to be translating I think, no use, you speak like, how many languages do you speak? I'm in the process of learning my fourth language, which is French. But, um, like, fluently, I'm fluent in English, Spanish, and Lithuanian. So, three languages for now. Perfect. So, for our next Lithuanian artist, we're going to call you. (laughs) Sure. Okay, so Lino, let's get started. Why don't you give us just the overview of who you are and how you would describe your art form? I like to present myself as a painter uh, first before saying I'm an artist because it's, the term artist can be too convoluted, maybe. It can be too over-representing of what I'm doing. Because if you say that you're a painter, you know exactly which like expressions and which area of study he's actually committing through art. An artist is just too wide of a term. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've actually never heard anyone express a preference, but you're right. I mean, it's it's about specificity because art, truly, I don't know how to define it. I don't know what is art and what is not art. <laughs> Well, uh, it is a complex question. Uh, Many artists would say that it is too abstract, maybe, to try to define art itself. 
And speaking of extract, that is actually part of your own work. Um, you know, and what makes your work so special to me is that it is abstraction, but also specificity. It is a juxtaposition between the classical and the contemporary. And so, you know, to to describe your work, I'll I'll try to describe your work and then you can correct me or chime in however you feel. But basically, there are these striking and large format. I mean, they're fairly large canvases on the whole that are color blocked with like a bright blue, for instance, like a bright cobalt blue, which is just striking. And for the human eye, blue has this like incredible effect on us. But then there's like, it almost looks like there's a finger that has just swiped through it, like you know, zigzagged through it. And where that finger has zigzagged through, there is an incredibly detailed, incredibly beautiful, incredibly technical classical portrait, typically of a woman. And there's just something so, to me, looking at your work, it's playful, it's joyous, but it's also a little bit cheeky, you know, like a little bit facetious. So tell us, how you landed on that style. It's so specific, you know. Well, these paintings, as you say, they play in part abstract, part realistic game fields. This has always been reflected in my older pieces as well. Most of my pieces contained like a small detail that did not seem to fit in there. But thus this like fake abstract name is a variation of my own older collections that have always been a juxtaposition of the abstract and the realistic. In very few words, uh, what I tried to express is that a simple style isn't enough to represent the days we live in. Thus, I require a battle between the abstract and the realistic, which can be found as a conflict in many of my works, since uh, for me it's impossible to pinpoint a singular style to unify these two like very different subjects and to unify everything that we go through in our modern days under a singular umbrella. It's almost impossible. It is. It is. And I'm wondering, just hearing you talk about this conflict and capturing that sense of tension or conflict in your work, if there is a sense of release or therapy for you in in working on these paintings. Um, and if if the work themselves come from a point of inner conflict for you. I wouldn't define it as something therapeutic for myself, uh, which is very common to hear from many artists, like art, art as a therapy. But this idea to me isn't very understandable. Like, I see art in a more of a scientific light. And just using such a word as scientific might, might seem weird, or it might not fit in the artistic world. But these days, art has been inflated with this like mysticism or like weird aura surrounding it. And I like to stray further away from that and be more grounded in the basis of like the pieces that I create. Mm. It really is the first time I've heard an artist 
say that. And I'll admit that I'm one of those to romanticize art because I think the reason there's so much psychology in it is because it comes from within us. There are cave paintings from the earliest known records of humanity and human history, prehistoric really. There wasn't even history then. And to me, that signals that it is a deep compulsion to express ourselves through art. And so I think that it is a lot of artists, especially visual artists, the best way they know how to capture their feelings in any given moment or express their pain or their joy is through their art form. So it would make sense that it is, as you put it, contaminated with the psychological aspect. But what I'm really interested in is your desire to be grounded and scientific through art, which actually painting in particular is basically all chemistry. I mean, the way you mix paints, the way that you apply paint to a canvas and have to prep a canvas and then have to seal um, the painting, that's all chemistry, right? And so I want to know a little bit more about how you see art as science. Acentuar, o sea, prim, dar prioridad a un sentimiento, eh, al sentimiento y a la psicología en arte, nos puede hacer llevar a una especie de irracionalismo. Y, y well, I could give a couple of examples from my views. Uh, in the psychology, let's say we refer to the emotions. If art affects your feelings, you would just enter headfirst into a definition of art as a more hedonistic and pleasurable way of experiencing reality instead of the aesthetic. For example, you can listen to music to experience the same pleasure. But to prioritize feelings in art might lead us to irrationalism. Uh, it would lead us onto a search for pleasure, which decreases art toward a simple state of like a psychedelic substance that only gives you a, an emotional feeling for a while and some nice visuals. The Sixteen Chapel, for example, it wasn't built for, for just feeling good or looking nice. It was built using techniques that were developed throughout ages of use. It was built for political, social, and religious reasons. And all of these matters have a much more serious tone and character than just emotional aspects. Un carácter que rebasa, que es mucho más importante que, que solo el placer o el psicológico. Claro, no, no se puede hablar de Shakespeare simplemente por el placer de, de ver a Shakespeare. We cannot talk about Shakespeare, about just its emotional aspects. He's an individual that his, all of his creation was built up by the existence of the English Empire and the whole political and social matters that had surrounded them. Or a pyramid in Egypt. It isn't just a triangle. It has political, social, and geographical reasons for its existence, and it definitely wasn't easy or pleasurable to build. I think that's fascinating. That is so interesting, Lino, because there's a few things that came up for me as you were talking about that. Number one, pleasure and pain can coexist, and pleasure and protest or pleasure and politic or technique can coexist, which I think is key because there has to be a semblance of fulfillment. I'm realizing that like the term pleasure is so broad and so beyond the most obvious, which is just like, yay, I'm making art. <laughs> and it can be 
more guttural and it can be more, it can be deeper and there can be pleasure expressed through finally voicing anger, for instance, right? I think it's so interesting because I, I have, I do and have romanticized art and even the process and the hard work that goes into it, I think is really easy to romanticize and maybe to put some psychology into this, maybe that is uh, partially a survival strategy, right? Romanticize the stuff that's really, really hard so that you don't stop doing it or get scared of doing it. But I find it a very realistic and pragmatic perspective that you bring. And I'm. it's refreshing to hear someone be like, no, it's not about pleasure and it's not about hedonism and it's not about the romanticized part of this. It's about hard work and it can be grueling and it can be painful. And I think it's all very, very relevant. I mean, the, this conversation just happens to be so poignant at this point of time, especially me being in Atlanta, Georgia right now, because the tensions across the world are high, but especially the tensions in the birthplace of the civil rights movement, when we are going through a modern day civil rights movement, there is just tension everywhere. And I think that's why your words about pleasure versus hard work or uh, the grueling nature of technique and form and expression is really hitting home for me right now, because I'm realizing they can actually coexist, right? There is a we are in these moments of tension, we're all exhausted and we wish things were better, but the bottom line is they're not. And there is a sense of pleasure being derived in seeing some sort of progress being made through protest, through the grueling, painful work of activists. Para mí es curioso. Eh, utilizaste la palabra, eh, estás hablando de romanticismo, ¿no? Y es, es verdad. Y, y hay un motivo muy concreto por esto. El romanticismo que nace del siglo XVIII, ¿no? Pues eh, lo estamos viviendo hoy de una forma muy fuerte. ¿Por qué? Porque el romanticismo. So you had mentioned romanticism. So we're like reliving the romanticism that was born in the 18th century, and we're reliving it in a very interesting way. Since before it had passed over Nietzsche, it has passed over Marx ideologies. Even uh, Marcus, uh, Foucault. But today we live in like a very romantic epoch, which is even encouraged in our universities and our schools, educational facilities everywhere. And it doesn't really suit artists very well, depending on what you do. But artists today are seen as shamans, as something more mystical than they actually are. And even museums are, are said to be our modern day temples que para mí no encaja muy bien y no y no nos favorece a los artistas mucho porque al final el artista so it gives like artists this weird this not very practical approach to explaining what they actually do that they have to connect it to emotion a lot and I am not very I'm critical with this I do not to be I do not want to be somebody's contact with the spiritual. I do a very basic thing, which is to create beauty and something that looks aesthetic. So my paintings are very beautiful to look at. And I do not reject beauty or aesthetics in art. I do not reject the aesthetics, but I want to be known uh, for something that I do, for the fact that I paint paintings, not for connecting with some type of emotion or spirit. 
podemos caer en un irracionalismo, digamos. Y creo que se, está, se cayó ya mucho en esto. Y bueno, después se puede hablar de activismo y esas cosas. Everything we just talked about really gives me a lot to think about. Now I want to talk about something more grounded, which is your process. First, why don't you tell us about the process of coming up with the ideas and the inspiration? In this series, concreta de fake astrals, hago lo que hice siempre, ¿no? So in, in this newest series, fake abstract, I did what I always do: just base myself in tradition, and I do things in very different ways. But in this latest series, the word fake already says that we need to be careful while interpreting these pieces. So tradition is so important to me, I would say even more important than our modern lifestyles. Thus, I like to maybe visualize what is modern with what is fake in my artwork, while contrasting the beautiful traditional paintings that are hidden underneath with something that is abstract, such as like the color that is coating over the painting. So this series is trying to visualize how we might see even ourselves as something that is not correct. We might have the wrong interpretation of ourselves. We might see the aspects of ourselves that are fake as the ones that are important without noticing the beautiful traditions hidden underneath. So I think that today there is a constant fight with the tradition and with who we are or who we think we are. And this conflict is inevitable. It's what I've been always working with, utilizing various symbols and various symbol sets. And the original classic pieces tend to crash greatly as a symbol against what is supposed to be abstract or modern in my works. These two, like, they try to overpower each other, but they can also synergize pretty well. But if we're not careful, we might get a neural short circuit, we could say, thus not allowing us to categorize these subjects clearly, and thus further intensifying the conflict present since human evolution was a thing. Well, where we might give wrong terms and definitions to reality, and this might lead us on a journey of romanticism and mysticism, where people don't think without clouding their views or letting themselves go completely with their feelings. This shouldn't be the sole purpose of art. Yeah, we might get a neural short circuit, uh, which might not allow us to categorize these subjects clearly, or due to not categorize them clearly. And this would further intensify this fight between what's traditional and what makes ourselves us, like what we learn throughout life. So this is just part of the system of the human evolution. And since we, if we give wrong terms and definitions to reality, while clouding our views and letting ourselves go completely with our feelings, it would mess with the basis of our understanding of what's aesthetic and what's necessary for us. So today, in these modern times, uh, we're experiencing greatly the counterclash of the traditions that we inherit from our family and parents and groups of people we live with and the things we pick up and we count as the modern world. We have to very carefully analyze our internal like mentalities and how the traditions might have formed them or how we are formed by the traditions. 
and how they function and maybe dysfunction dependingly in the modern world, how they might even be applied. So my conclusion uh, would be that we're more made up of traditions than any revolutions in our society. I mean, it seems very evident, like like the evolution of uh, humanity's morale, where we we constantly live in a state of conflict with what is classical and what is modern. And people think that to be an artist today, you need to go against what is classical. But that is not necessary. Like, you can still pursue art and base it on classical methods and techniques and still do wonderful things. Or you can base yourself purely on abstract, but while not retaining any of the beauty. But the point is that there constantly seems to need to be a state of conflict in art, especially in my own art. I mean, I think the dynamic between the traditional and the modern is really interesting. And I also like that you and I are talking about this specifically, Lino, because I am at my core, a very revolutionary person. And I believe in our power as humanity to dismantle the things that don't work, the systems that don't work for humanity. Okay, so for instance, I'm a revolutionary because my great-grandfather was an actual revolutionary in Guatemala. I'm an entrepreneur because my grandfather was an entrepreneur in Colombia. I'm a feminist because my mom was a feminist before feminism was a thing. I owe a lot of who I am to my ancestral lineage. I disagree at the same time with a lot of the traditions held by my ancestral lineage. And I don't want to prescribe to those traditions because I don't think they are in favor of harmony and union and the greatest possible outcome for all of humanity. I think there is a constant tension, inherent tension, in embracing the parts of your lineage and traditions and societal traditions and classicism or technique to apply it to arts that feel right, that connect with you, but then also reinventing and revolutionizing the parts that don't feel right. And perhaps the tension is that we doubt ourselves there is just such a dualistic nature to this world where humans think that it's either this or it's that. When again, I do think that being traditional and observing, acknowledging, and even honoring traditions of the past while also seeking to change them, dismantle them, start something new can coexist. And in fact, those two concepts do coexist in your own art. Right. And so there is this tension and yet union. There is this duality and juxtaposition and yet harmony of those two things in your very work. That's what I find so interesting. Bueno, como no me preguntas, no me preguntas nada de concreto, pero estoy de acuerdo completamente con, con lo que me dices. O sea, vivimos en ese estado constantemente. O sea, quizá hoy en día. Well, I'm completely agreeing with what you say. We live in the state constantly, especially now. 
what is going out in the street in USA or the electoral campaigns or even the little conflicts we tend to have at home, we constantly live in a state of battle throughout history. And even revolution is part of this. Like, there will be no revolution if there is no conflict of interest. Therefore, there is no, no tradition. If there is no tradition, there will be no revolution against it. Thus, I also do not see any validity in the vision of an artist as a god or creator. It is simply a drive to create something that is beautiful. And I also reject the visualization of an artist as a spiritual guru. I only see him as a person with a very advanced technique and skill set acquired through his life and his traditions. Humans, we are constantly in a endless cycle of creation and destruction and creation and destruction. But what, what is most interesting is that humans tend to create more than they destroy, especially the artistic types and the people who want to actually do something better. They tend to create. Every single person on earth is actually creating at every time of his life, not just artists. That is beautifully put, Lino. I completely agree. You know, I've been having a lot of conversations recently about how cyclical and predictable human beings are. I mean, if you look back on human history, you see that we've sort of done the same thing over and over and over again. And it just looks a little bit different throughout history. You know, I think that the act of creating is absolutely something that we all do on a continuous basis. But one thing I'm grateful for is that you are creating very specifically via painting because it brings me a lot of joy. And, um, you know, I know that there are thousands and thousands of people who look forward to your specific style of creation. Little did I know, you know, I saw beauty, I saw pleasure. And then we get on this amazing call and we get to talk about the levels of depth and the technical side of things. And so it's been such a joy getting to know you and your perspectives, Lino. So thank you for that. Before we sign off, why don't you tell us where the Cultured Crew can find out more about you, can follow your progress, and can keep experiencing this sense of tension within your work? So thanks a lot. Uh, my work can simply be seen on my webpage, linolago.com, or check out my Instagram, which is also linolago, or even visit physically the galleries that I work with. Uh, those galleries can also be found on the section in my website. Amazing. Bueno, ahora sí puedo hablar en español para decirte chao. Gracias a los dos. Thank you, Noyus. Thank you, Lino. The whole Cultured Crew loves you and appreciates your time today. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot for having me. It was a great experience. Thank you. Que ha sido interesante. Well, there you have it. I mean, listen, if you thought by tension, I meant that he and I were going to be fighting the whole time. Aren't you just the most surprised little cookie in the world? Because turns out we love each other. <laughs> See, you can disagree and totally appreciate one another. Okay. <laughs> All right, y'all. We will catch you for the next episode. Episode, episode, episode. Until next time. Uh, keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cooked. Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. 
The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer. And we're recording in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia.